You don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. Babies don't walk the first time they try, but eventually they get it right. Jack Canfield. You're listening to the Alchemical Mermaid Podcast. Namaste and welcome to the Alchemical Mermaid Podcast. I'm your host, Serafina Sangha, and in season one of this podcast, we are delving into the divinatory world of tarot. Now, before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, the Alchemical Mermaid podcast can be found on Spotify, so make sure you go give it a follow. Um, it's also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the different places you can hear podcasts. Um, I really do hope that you find the podcast, follow it on whichever platform that you listen to podcasts, and of course, rate it five stars. Also, I would really love to hear your thoughts and your feedback on the show, what you think, what you would like to hear in the future. Do connect with me. Uh, my Instagram is Alchemical Mermaid. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Alchemic Mermaid. And you can also email me at alchemicalmermaid at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Now, in the previous episode, we learned a little bit about the history of tarot. So we kind of went into how the minor suits of the arcana, uh, they were inspired by Mamluk cards from the 12th century Egypt, um, and that was in turn inspired by cards from China. Also how the court cards bear similar uh, resemblance to the Al-Nas cards of Persia, and also about the Korean shamans using eight-suit cards for divination purposes, and of course how tarot is used today not only in divination but also psychology. So if you've not heard the episode yet, go ahead and check it out. But now it's time for us to get our very first deck. Or second. Or third. Doesn't matter. But here's the thing. If you're getting your first deck, there is so many misconceptions about tarot. Like, how do you know if tarot is right or if the cards even suit you? Like, how do you get your first deck? So many questions plague our minds, especially if we're just starting out. So in today's episode, let's bust some myths and misconceptions about tarot so you can get your very first deck. So the misconceptions that we're going to be going through would be general misconceptions about tarot and then also deck misconceptions because we're getting our first deck, right? So let's start with general tarot misconceptions. Now, the first one is really common, which is tarot is only for psychics or for intuitives. And that is completely not true. Of course, it's, it is a misconception because here's the thing. Tarot is known to be used by psychologists as well. Like they may not use actual tarot decks, but they do use um, something similar. They do use cards when it comes to um, psychology or when it comes to therapy. So it's not about being a psychic and then only being able to, you know, read tarot. It's not, right? So here's the thing. Not everyone is psychic, but everyone is intuitive. Yes, I did not stumble. Every single person has intuition. We just need to practice. We just need to learn how to use and listen to our intuition in order to be able to use it. So using tarot in order to kind of get in touch with our intuition is a great thing too, right? So that's the thing. But while we are learning and while we are getting there, you have to remember as well that tarot actually uses a lot of logical and rational thought, including deductive reasoning. So at the end of the day, if you're not sure about your intuition, if you're skeptical about your own intuition, which you shouldn't be because you are amazing, like, hello. But <laughs> at the end of the day, anyone can read tarot because a lot of the times it's logic, it's rational, and it's deductive reasoning. So everyone can read tarot. 
The next misconception is that tarot is connected to black magic or it's connected to the devil. Now, if you believe that tarot is against your religion, then that's fine. Don't practice it. But do know that it is not at all connected to anything dark or demonic because at the end of the day, it's just a tool. That's what tarot is. It's a tool. Now, I do understand. So the imagery, especially in some decks, may be scary or dark. Some cards may be a bit ominous. But at the end of the day, it's not connected to black magic. It's not connected to the devil. They are symbolic, though. They are symbolic. They are representative of feelings or of actions or of potential, but not of anything dark, not of black magic, not of the devil. At the end of the day, tarot is about tapping into your subconscious or communicating with your guides. So it's not evil. Definitely not evil. Now, can tarot be used for bad things? Like, you can't really use it for bad stuff. You know, it's mostly about understanding circumstances and situations and getting perspective, right? So it's not connected to that. Majority of the time, people use it to learn, to, you know, grow and to be better. So, yeah. The next misconception is not really a misconception, but it is something that I want to bring up, is that a lot of people assume that tarot is a very Western occultist practice. And I would say that's completely false. Tarot is not exclusively Western occultist, right? Or it's not a Western occult practice. Tarot, at the end of the day, is a form of cartomancy, and there are cultures across the East in Korea, China, India, many other places um, that actually have their own versions of cartomancy, right? So at the end of the day, tarot is a divination tool, which means that anyone is able to use or practice it, whether it's related to occultism or psychology, it doesn't really matter. So at the end of the day, your culture should not stop you from using tarot. There are so many cards that are representative of certain cultures. There are Native American cards, there are cards that are representative of Chinese culture, of Indian culture. So you can get any kind of cards, any kind of tarot cards that has the symbolism, that has the imagery that suits your culture or your people or wherever you're from. And you can use that. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's not a Western practice. Cartomancy is a global practice. It is global cultures that have been practicing cartomancy. So it is not specifically a Western thing. It is an everyone thing. So don't be, you know, put off by tarot. All right, because as I've mentioned in the previous episode, there is no one culture or society that has control over a divination method. So each culture just has their own way of doing it. The best thing that you can do is to research your own culture's methods and practice that if you want to, you know, or you can choose to read tarot however you want. There is no rules. That's the best part. Now, the next misconception is something that we spoke about the previous week, which is tarot is a closed practice. Now, while some people will disagree and they will say, yes, it is a closed practice, at the end of the day, what I would urge is that for us to approach this subject matter logically and to look at history for the answers. So for something to be deemed closed, it means that the practice has to be exclusive for that culture. Now, here's the thing with tarot, though. Tarot has been inspired by various cultures from all over the place and it's also been used in many different ways by many different cultures over the centuries. So at the end of the day, no one culture can actually claim tarot as it's not actually exclusive to any one culture because the inspiration of the imagery has come from so many different cultures. Um, at the end of the day, even how it's used is different in different cultures. So therefore, it can't really be deemed as a close practice by anyone because it's been used by many different people from many different cultures before. So it's not closed to a specific culture at all. Historically, logically, we have to look at it 
in that way. We have to see it in a logical way. And logically, it does not fall under the category of being closed. Now, you are free to dis- to disagree with me. That's perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, I will very respectfully disagree. But yes, moving on. The next misconception is that tarot is equivalent to witchcraft. So if you're not a witch, then you can't do it because witch is a religion. Now here's the thing. Witchcraft is not a religion. Um, Wicca is a religion, but not all Wiccans practice tarot reading. Not all witches are Wiccans. Not all witches do tarot. I hope you get what I'm, where I'm going with this. In other words, long story short, terrors, yeah, typically associated with witchcraft, but witchcraft is not religious. Now, it also is what you define as witchcraft. It really depends on that. Because someone making a wish on their birthday, if that's witchcraft, right? You praying before you sleep at night, that's witchcraft, Right? You're trying to manifest things in your life by saying, please help me do this and please help me do that. Right? Like, there's so many different things that you do that's considered witchcraft. So, it's not religious. Long story short, it's not religious because it's also used by psychologists and therapists. They just use different imagery and names on the cards, but ultimately, it's kind of similar. So terror is a practice that anyone can do. And as I've explained before, it's not closed and can be done by someone from any religion or non-religion. It's really up to you. So yes, terror is not associated with witchcraft. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's really dependent on how you use the cards. So if you want to use it for witchcraft, you can. It's not associated with religion. But if you are religious and your religion says no, then don't do it. But if you want to, then that's up to you. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it's really up to you. So yeah. Now the next one is that tarot can be dangerous. And here's the thing. It is a misconception. Tarot is not necessarily dangerous, but it can be. Now, how can it be dangerous? Let's look at it this way. A lot of times when people get their tarot deck, they're like, oh, I'm going to do shadow work with it. They're very new with this and they want to start doing shadow work, which is great, but scary. So here's the thing. If you're using your cards to do, you know, to uncover things, to do shadow work on yourself, or you're using it to self-therapize, then that is not good. It's very, very not good you at this point probably don't have healthy coping mechanisms to go through on your own um if you if you endure if you have endured any trauma and you use the cards to bring up things from the past that you're not ready to face or that you know you think you are but maybe you're not so many different variations or so many different things could happen with this but long story short to self-therapize it's not good because you don't have healthy coping mechanisms. When you go to therapy, when you see a psychologist, they give you healthy coping methods. They tell you what to do. They tell you the methods and the techniques and the things that you can do to, you know, make yourself feel better or to calm yourself down when you're facing some anxiety or when you have a panic attack, what can you do? They have advice. They have actual tools at your disposal right? Um, So you need to know that. You need to know that if I face something that is huge to me, if I uncover something from my unconscious that throws me, that, you know, gives me anxiety, or I'm suddenly hit with a panic attack once I face that, you need to have healthy coping mechanisms so that you're able to get through that that time, that moment of realization, right? So for people who don't have that, it can be dangerous. It may be something you are not ready to face, that you can't face, um, or you may not be able to 
kind of control yourself after and you may go on a tailspin. So that is not good, right? So at the end of the day, if you're in a good place or you have healthy coping mechanisms, then you can do a deep dive on your subconscious. But otherwise, using the cards to find out if, you know, your next job interview is going to be good for you, if you are, (laughs) if you should buy that next, you know, Taylor Swift album or whatever it is, if you're going to use your cards for something simple, something every day, then that's perfectly fine. Go right ahead. Um, But the other way that cards can be dangerous is if you're brand new, you just bought a deck of cards, and now you're doing card readings for other people, you're finding clients, that can be dangerous. Because not knowing anything about the cards or how to use them or how to handle a client can be very harmful if you give the wrong advice, if you say the wrong thing, or if you give harmful advice. Because sometimes something as simple as, oh, they're going to break your heart because you got the Three of Swords it may influence your clients to break a relationship in advance with the person. But the thing is, it's never as simple as that. You have to read the cards as a whole, as a story, as um, it it all interconnects with each other. But if you're just going to look at that one card and say like, oh yeah, no, they're bad for you, they're going to break your heart, it's going to be terrible, then you're freaking your client out. That's not good. So... It's not only not good for you, it's not good for other people who are tarot readers because you're kind of giving tarot readers a bad name and you don't want to do that, right? So in that sense, that can be dangerous because you're just going to make people be like, oh, tarot readers ruined my life. You don't want that, obviously, right? So never, ever, ever give advice to people um, or whatever it is, you know, if you're brand new into tarot. Because at the end of the day, you would need to give so much more elaboration. You need to give perspective to your client. Like there's there's a way of how you tackle the like various subject matters. So yeah, at the end of the day, tarot reading is not dangerous if you learn the art of it. If you know how to do it, if you learn it and you study it, there is nothing wrong with it. So once you know how to effectively communicate with your cards and with your clients, then nothing is going to stand in your way. It's going to be perfectly fine. No danger whatsoever, right? So that is all the misconceptions with tarot cards. What about deck misconceptions? Mm-hmm. There are definitely deck misconceptions. So let's jump into that now. Our first question is the most common one that everyone asks, which is, does your first deck need to be gifted to you? And the answer is no, not at all. Now, I completely understand where this is coming from, though, because if we think of it logically, it is understandable because in older times when people were not as open-minded and cards were not as easily available in stores, then it's understandable that your first deck would need to be gifted to you because it wasn't taken very well before. So you obviously would need someone to gift it to you. In that sense, completely understandable. But in today's day and age, cards are available everywhere. There is no hard and fast occult or spiritual rule that states that you need to be gifted your first deck of cards, right? So at the end of the day, if you want a deck of cards, go out to that bookstore or log on to that website and get your deck. Buy your first deck. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You do not need to be gifted your first deck at all. Okay? Right. Now, the next question is that a lot of people are like, oh, in that case, do I need to get a new deck or can I get secondhand? All right, so here's the thing. If you have money, great, get yourself a new deck. But If you can't really afford a new one, a secondhand deck will work just as well. Nothing wrong with a secondhand deck. And at the end of the day, if you can't afford a secondhand deck, or you can't afford anything at all, then you can download an app. Yup, there's absolutely nothing wrong with downloading an app. Because at the end of the day, a lot of tech witches actually use apps to do their magic. So... It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong. Don't let anyone make you feel bad about using an app to do tarot readings. It's absolutely normal. It's fine. Okay? 
So if you need to get a nap, get a nap. Moving on to the next misconception is that if you need to start learning tarot, you need to start with the Rider Waite Smith only and only the Rider Waite Smith. And here's the thing. Here's my response to that. There are way too many beautiful decks out there for you to bore yourself starting with the Rider Waite Smith only if it doesn't interest you. I love the Rider Waite Smith deck. I think it's a beautiful deck and I have that deck. But it's not everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone's going to love the Rider Waite Smith deck. And that's perfectly fine. You don't have to start with the Rider Waite Smith deck. So many decks take inspiration from the Rider Waite Smith, so it's fine. And even if they don't, even if your aesthetic is minimalist, absolute minimalist, that's fine too. It's whatever suits you. So get a deck that you like because while the Rider Waite Smith may be a classic, sometimes it's not about the classics, but it's about the aesthetics. So the best thing that you can do and the best thing about tarot is getting a deck where the visuals is something that you truly connect with. So what I like to do is when I want to buy a deck, I will look at the strength card, the star card, and all four queen cards. And if I like all six of these cards, I will put that deck in my wish list or I will buy it if I have the cash for it. But that's the thing. I will see if I like specific cards in the deck and if I do, I get them. So you choose a deck that you love looking at and that you feel happy when you look at the pictures. Because if you have that deck, if you see a deck that you just love looking at, it's so beautiful, it's so amazing, it's so you, you feel absolutely happy, you really connect and resonate with the cards, then let me tell you something, that is your deck, get that deck. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise, get that deck. Okay? Now... <laughs> I feel like I keep ending everything with a really sassy, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, moving on to the next misconception is that decks are better than apps or that apps are not as accurate. Here's the thing. If you're like me and you like the physical field of holding and shuffling cards, then by all means, get out there, buy a deck. That's perfectly fine. But... If you don't want the hassle of carrying cards or having cards with you, or you want an option to learn tarot without the investment of getting a deck of cards first and then not liking it, and then like, what do I do with this? Then there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting a getting an app. Or sometimes if you feel like I resonate better with electronics, it's weird to get a physical deck of cards, then go electronic, get an app. There's nothing wrong with that right? So here's my suggestions. Um, if you are an Android user or, you know, you have access to the Google Play Store, Galaxy Tarot is a great app. It's one of my favorites, mainly because it has a dictionary for symbolisms. There is like meanings of each card, um, but also you've got details on runes and crystals and I Ching and so many other things. There's numerology as well. It's really cool. It's one of my favorite apps. Um, now, to get the full version of the app, you do need to pay some money. I did pay money for that app, um, and I really enjoyed it. I loved it. But yeah, so if you want to buy the app, by all means, but you don't have to. Like, you know, getting the free version of the app is enough. Um, however, if you're an iPhone user, then the Golden Thread Tarot is really good. Uh, it can store past readings, it can take notes, there's like a lot of other things that it can do as well. Um, and I really like the aesthetics. It's very simple, it's very straightforward, it's easy to maneuver around in the app. So yeah, it's a really good app. So once you've decided and you go like, okay, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready. I've heard the misconceptions. I get what you're trying to say, Serafina. I'm ready to get my first deck. So the big question now is, how do I do that? How do I get my first deck? Well, let me tell you. 
the first thing you got to do, the first decision that you got to make is, are you getting actual cards or are you getting the app? Because if you're getting the app, then download it, right? It's that simple. But if you're getting actual cards, then the next question that you want to ask yourself is, what's your budget? Because there are so many cards out there. Some of them are nice and cheap and some of them are truly expensive. So you have to determine what's your budget. Now, for a lot of people who are, you know, into tarot and have done readings before, this is not your first deck, then typically, you know, we have our favorite decks that we're saving money to buy. <laughs> but if it's your very first deck, then you can you can have a smaller budget for it. Um, typically, if you're in the US, it would be about $20, $30 for a deck of cards. Sometimes a bit more. Sometimes it's like $40, $45. Um, but it really depends. The price really changes it fluctuates right like different brands different people different companies that make them will charge differently so yeah there's just a lot so at the end of the day what's your budget right then the next thing to think about is are you buying your cards from the shops or are you getting them online so the things to kind of think about or to factor in when you're deciding on that is for shops um options are kind of limited because it's just what's available at the shop but shops are great because if you live in a home where you're still in the broom closet you have not told anyone that you are practicing this or you know you don't want people to know then going to the shops and buying it, putting it in your bag and then sneaking it into your room, that's perfectly easy, right? Whereas if it gets delivered to you, um, you don't want someone accidentally opening it or to see where it's coming from because very obvious that this is an occult shop kind of thing, kind of name, so that may be a bit dangerous. So sometimes you got to kind of factor or weigh that in, right? So in that sense, um, weigh up your options. Are you getting it from the shops or are you going to get it online? Um, if you're getting it on the shops, you know, look at what's available, go to the shop one day, see what are your options there. Come back home, Google the images, see which one you like, and then, you know, finalize on the one that you want. If you're buying it online, um, then you can check out Pinterest or Kickstarter for some options. Uh, people make their own decks and then they sell them on Kickstarter. It gets funded. There are some absolutely beautiful decks that um, have come from Kickstarter. So, yeah, I, I would very strongly support uh, Kickstarter creators. So go and check it out on those platforms. Um, or you can also check out usgamesinc.com or usgamesincorporated or also Low Scarabeo. Uh, now, these two are one of the biggest tarot producers or tarot deck producers. So you can find like a whole bunch of tarot decks there as well. Now, what I like to do is, personally, I would Google image the deck to find the pictures of the cards. So I like to look at certain cards, uh, as I mentioned before. So I like to look at the strength card and the star card, sometimes the world card. I like to look at all four queens to see you know, how they look like and how they are represented. Um, because at the end of the day, it's about having that connection with the imagery. You need to like it. You need to resonate with it. So if it looks and feels great, if you resonate with the images or you like the aesthetics, it's totally your vibe, then go for it. Because at the end of the day, my rule of thumb is if you love looking at your decks, then that's your deck. Buy that deck, right? So it needs to be something that you, that you get along with, that you gel with, that you love, that you, you know, that you feel is you in that sense. And once you've decided, and once you've made up your mind, and once you've finalized, it's time to get your deck. So yeah. Now, let's say you've decided on your deck, you've ordered your deck, or you've bought your deck, and your deck has finally arrived. What do you do? Well, the first step is to cleanse your deck. Yes, even if it's new, I strongly urge everyone to cleanse their deck. It's always important, you know, kind of like to shake loose any stale energy in there to freshen it up. So if you have a new deck, something very simple is to just hold your deck in your hand, uh, face down, knock it three times on top, and then turn it um, the other way around. So now it's face up, knock it three times again, and you're done. It's cleansed. You've kind of shaken the energy you've kind of refreshed 
um, the cards and you've woken them up from their slumber in that sense, right? So typically, I'll knock three times on the wall face down, turn it upside down, face up, knock it three times again, and that's it. Now that's for a new deck. If you get a second hand deck, usually what I would do is, um, I would do the same thing. I will knock the deck as though it's a new one. But after that, I will do um, an, element, an elemental cleansing. So what I will do is I will use either one of the elements. So if it's air, for example, I may use incense smoke um, or I may blow on the cards. Now, if I want to do a really thorough cleansing, I'll do it one by one. So card after card after card. Um, but if I feel like the energy of the card is not that dark or heavy or stale or whatever it is, then I would just like, you know, put the entire cards in smoke and, you know, just kind of move it around the smoke, uh, the incense smoke and be done with that or blow on the entire deck of cards. Um, so that's if you want to do air cleansing. If you want to do fire cleansing, you can just light a candle. Obviously, be very careful how far or how near you put your card to your candle flame because you don't want to make you you don't want it to catch on fire that's for sure so usually what i would do sometimes is i'll put the card um just so that it can you know capture the light um from the candle so maybe about five inches away from the flame that's usually far enough keep it around five inches um away from the flame make sure it's illuminated by the candle flame i like to do it in the dark as well well not full dark but i like to do it in like very dim lighting so i can see the card being illuminated and as i see the card being illuminated i turn it around like so facing the flame and the outside of the card facing the flame to just kind of like have the light of the fire absorbed into the the card and that's how i fire cleanse um the cards so you can do it individually or you can do it as the entirety of the deck so that's fire cleansing um again reminder to make sure it doesn't catch on fire have a big jug of water next to you just in case of emergency um the other way of cleansing using elements is earth so some people would bury their uh tarot deck in salt some of them will bury it in dirt um or you could also use crystals and i love selenite um, for cleansing, selenite is absolutely amazing. What I do sometimes is, or what I actually do as my deck is lying on the table, is I will put a selenite wand over it just to kind of hold it down, but also at that same time, it's constantly cleansing the deck. So you can do something like that as well. Uh, you can do it card by card, or you can do the entire deck at the same time, uh, and that's for earth cleansing. And of course, for obvious reasons, no water cleansing you don't want your cards to get warped so um typically with elemental cleansing it'll be air fire or earth for tarot cards and once you're done um cleansing all the cards what i like to do is uh, arrange the cards in order if they're not in order arrange them in order and if they are in order i will shuffle them for a little while and then arrange them in order so you want to start with the major arcana you want to arrange it from the fool and then followed by the magician and then the high priestess all the way till the world card and then arrange them in the minor arcanas. Um, so you want to arrange them by suits, starting with wands and then cups and then swords and then pentacles. That's typically the order that I go with that most decks will arrange their cards. Um, however, if you want to start with pentacles and then do cups and then do wands and end it with swords, that's perfectly fine too. So arrange it in the order and once it's been arranged it's done it's cleansed and there you go uh you can knock it again if you want to but not really necessary so that is if you have a second hand deck right but what if you've already got your deck and you've used it and you want to cleanse it because you feel like oh i haven't used it in a while well here's the thing um, if your deck has been handled by other people or you've not used it for some time or for whatever reasons you feel like it needs to be cleansed again, you can do the very simple knock three times uh, face down and then face up um, and then arrange the cards in, in sequence, as I mentioned earlier, and then knock it again if you want to. Uh, or you can use elemental cleansing for it. It's really up to you how you want to cleanse it. But if you are handling your deck yourself, um, and you use it every day, then you don't have to clean it as often. But if your deck is handled by other people, uh, then you want to clean it usually after the person handles it. Or if you haven't used it for a while, then you definitely want to cleanse it. But yeah, so 
I would pretty much clean it once a month if it's not being used by a lot of other people. But if it's used by a lot of other people, I would clean it maybe once a week. My advice for that is do what feels right for you. If doing it once a week is too much and once a month is easier, go for once a month. If doing it every two weeks is better, then do it two, every two weeks. It's completely up to you. Do what feels right to you, okay? Once you've cleansed your deck, now is the very important part. This is where you need to understand and build uh, a relationship with your deck. Now, a lot of people say that, oh, to build a relationship to your deck, to connect to your deck, you need to sleep with your deck. And here's the dilemma again, right? If you're in the broom closet, you can't sleep with a deck with you. You never know who's going to enter your room. You never know who's going to see you know, what's around you, like, you know, if it's underneath your pillow, if it's next to your pillow, if it's by your bedside, some people just can't afford having that, right? So in its most simple way, there are other ways that you can connect with your deck. So first thing I like to do is once I get a new deck, once I've cleansed the deck, then I want to go through every single card in my deck. I will look at the imagery and I will look at it really carefully, look at all the symbolisms And then I will ask myself, what do I think and what do I feel when I look at each card? So ask yourself, as you're going through each deck, so let's just say you start with the Fool. Look at the picture, look at the symbolisms, look at the colours, look at how the Fool is kind of looking forward and what's in the background and what's in the foreground and how the dog looks and what the fool is doing and where the fool is and things like that. Like you want to look at the picture. You want to look and appreciate every single bit of the picture. And as you're doing that, you want to ask yourself, what do I think? What do I feel when I look at this card? And just take note of it. So do it one by one. So start with the fool and then move to the magician, move to the high priestess and so on and so forth, until you get through every single card, every single one of that 78-card deck, every single one of them. As you've done that, you're, you're building a relationship, you're building a connection with every single card in that deck. Now, once you've done that, once you've looked at the pictures, then you want to pick the deck up and you want to shuffle it. And as you're shuffling the deck, Think about how much you love and adore your deck, how beautiful it is, how amazing it is, how it makes you feel so good and you're so excited for it. This is a good start to having that feel of the deck and how it shuffles and how it feels in your hands. This is a good way to kind of build that physical relationship with your deck, right? As you shuffle it and as you hold it, you know, how you move it how it feels in your hand, like all that is that physical bond, right? And also you want to channel that adoration that you have for your deck to it. Now, once you've done that, once once you're shuffling and shuffling your cards, and as you're shuffling, wonder about the cards. Who are they? What is their strength? What is their weakness? You know like how a mysterious stranger makes you curious about them, right? That same kind of curiosity you want to channel that same curiosity about your deck to your deck. You want to question them and ask them, who are you? How are you going to help me? What kind of relationship are we going to have? What are we going to do together? What am I going to learn from you? You want to ask all these questions. You want to be curious about your deck. Ask questions to your deck as you are shuffling it. Now, after you're shuffling, once you feel like it's the right time, like, you know, sometimes you'll be just like, yeah, okay, this feels good. This feels right. Stop. Now, what I like to do typically is a very simple read with my new cards, my new deck. Um, and I will pull out four cards. So as I'm shuffling, once I stop shuffling, I'll pull out the top four cards. Some people will like to cut their deck and then pull out cards. That's fine too. Do what feels right to you. Want to spread the cards and choose random four cards. That's fine too, right? But typically, I like to pull out four cards. Now, the first card that I pull is a who are you card, right? So this pretty much tells me about yourself. What is their personality? This tells me about the deck's personality and their vibe, right? And that would be the card. So put it out in front of you. You can put it face up. 
you can put it face down it's up to you usually i'll just put it face up straight away and the second card that you pull up is what is your strength now this is the strength of your card so i personally would rather this be a singular strength so there's no confusion so that's why i like to ask a singular what is your strength just to avoid confusion because if there's many then i'm like uh okay um but yeah so singular works for me if you want to do plural go right ahead but this tells me what my, my my what my deck can do what is their strength what are their abilities right what is their superpower in that sense and the third card on the other hand is what is your limitations so always remember that nothing is perfect everything has limitations or weaknesses so better to know what your deck can't do for you than not know right so that's why i like to ask what is your limitations what are you unable to do for me how are you unable to help me and that's fine so that you know not to use your deck in that way so i typically would ask that question not very many people may that's perfectly fine now the fourth card that i pull up is how can i learn and collaborate with you card now this one i feel is super important because it literally defines that relationship between you and your deck so i see it as a way that my card wants to build a relationship with me so what i would use the cards for and how i would use it and the kind of readings that we would do with it sometimes even it tells me the kind of spreads it would work with or it likes working with and things like that so always ask your deck questions now there is a lot more questions that you can ask sometimes i will just limit it to three so strength weakness and guidance like how are you going to teach me or what are you going to teach me or how do i make this relationship work between the both of us like what do i need to be uh wary of in this relationship there are so many different types of interview uh spreads that you can do with your deck so it's up to you which one you are which one you prefer so i would say that i typically do the four i sorry i typically do the four sometimes i do three as i've mentioned but if you want to try others if you have more questions that you want to ask that's completely up to you you can always search for tarot deck interview questions um on google um if you look at the google google image search when you search for tarot deck interview questions you will find so many uh spreads on you know how to where to put the cards and what each card represents and things like that so you could literally craft out your own uh interview with your deck and do a full reading some people will even do a uh celtic cross it's a very complex spread with 10 different cards but some people will do that for their for their deck i prefer keeping it simpler um mainly because i want to still learn about the imagery and the symbolisms and you know build that relationship with my deck there's no point going into a really complex spread yeah i i like to do something simple and then do constant readings to build that relationship with my deck so that is the that is what you can do so build that relationship with your deck ask that questions get to know your deck but you know if you want to do it simple you want to do it more complex it's completely up to you now here's the thing you may be wondering okay serafina i do the reading i pull the cards but i don't know what they mean i get it so how are you going to know what the card is telling you simple for now your deck should come with a tiny booklet sometimes it's white sometimes it's nicely made but it should come with a tiny booklet and that booklet is from the creator of the deck and usually in that tiny booklet you will have the meaning of each individual card and that is what you want to read as you are going through your reading as you're doing your reading so as you do your deck interview you can use that little you know mini booklet the tiny booklet to see what are the meanings of the cards that you're pulling now if you have downloaded the apps and you have an actual deck you can then even look at the apps and the meaning of the cards as explained in the app 
So that's fine too. If you have a book, if you have a terror book, so for example, I recommend it for you to read The 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollock. If you have that, if you've been reading that, then that as well will help you understand the cards. So there's so many different ways that you can get the meanings, right? There you can Google them. Google images will usually give you like um, slideshow kind of images on like what the cards are and what are the the meanings of the cards, the simple meaning of the cards. So from that sense as well, you can kind of learn how to read the cards or get a sense of understanding of what the cards mean or what they symbolize, right? So as you're doing that, as you're googling it or reading the tarot book or whatever it is, do know that I'll also be doing a podcast of the cards and its meaning soon. So you could also check that out as well, of course. Um, and this will help you understand a little bit about what your card is trying to tell you. It'll, you'll be able to kind of understand uh, the direction of what your card is or the direction of where your card's heading in or kind of like the scope of what your card is trying to tell you. You may not get like the in-depth thorough meaning of it yet but it's good to kind of get the surface meaning you're still learning it's still a process so you know go through that process get the get the basic understanding of what that card stands for first right now once you do that what i typically like to do is i want to take a picture of the spread now the reason why i take a picture of the spread is so that i can refer to it whenever right so a lot of people as they do that they also journal their reading so as you take a picture you can open your journal you can refer to that as you write your notes down it's like okay so this is my deck this is what it said blah 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 blah. you can put all that in your journal and so a lot of people like to actually journal about their tarot readings mainly because it gives them a insight right so it gives them an insight about what they've read and when they refer to it back again like on a later time they will see like oh this is something that i missed out this is something that i didn't realize then and i realize now so it's a good way to see yourself and how you've grown in your readings so journaling about your readings is a 100 percent recommended um habit to kind of build up now After you've done all that, to further build a bond, um, what I like to do with my decks and what I still practice today is to pull a card every single day. Just one card is enough. Um, If you feel like one card a day is too often, you can try like one for the weekday and then one for the weekend. Um, Again, use the resources that you have to learn about the card, understand what it means. And of course, don't forget to journal it, right? So as you pull a card, let's just say you're doing one for the weekend and one for the weekday as you pull your one card right use your resources see what it means see what they say about the card and then journal it so write down that okay so for this week starting this date to this date um this is the card i pulled this is the meaning of it and then reflect on your week reflect on what happened during that week right and then journal it So if it's a card a day or a card a week or whatever it is, reflect on how the card manifested its energy into that time period. So if it's a card day, how did that card's energy manifest itself into your day, right? If it's a card a week, how did the energy of the card or how did the card manifest its energy into your week? So for example, let's just say you pulled a three of cups today. And you maybe end up having an impromptu hangout session with your friends at dinner. That is a very three of cup kind of energy. Or maybe you kind of something happened to you and you really, really need your friends to be around because you need support. That is also a three of cup energy. Um, or maybe you're feeling extra super sociable today and you're just like, I really want to hang out with my friends. I really feel that bond and that connection and I just want to be with my friends that's three of cup energy too so you want to kind of reflect on how that energy manifested itself the reason why that's a good thing is because you can then see how your cards or how your deck is communicating with you the various ways your deck can communicate a single card to you because then 
when that card comes out, if let's just say one day you're doing a reading for another person, you know that it could mean a specific meaning to that card. If for you, Three of Cups is the need of being around close friends, then when you do a reading for another person, that's probably what your card's trying to say too. Um, but if your card tells you that it's um, going to be a hangout sesh, that you're going to be with people, then again, that's what you know your card's trying to tell you and that's what your card would probably resonate with when it comes to the Three of Cups. So it gets you to learn a lot more about your cards. It gets you to connect better with your cards. And it also, at the same time, gets you to learn about the different cards and the different meanings of the cards. So definitely practice this. I know tarot readers who've been reading for 20 over years, 30 years almost, and they still do a card a day reading. Yeah. Now, once you've done that, once you've connected to your deck, once you've done that readings, and once you're continuously doing that readings, another thing is to store your deck, right? So once you've done everything, like where do you keep it? How do you keep it? How do you store it? So here's the thing. You can either keep them in the box that they came in. Um, some boxes are really nice um, and they won't break. So you can keep them in the box uh, that they came in. Sometimes the boxes tear or break or, you know, some of the types of boxes are not really great quality, so that can be problematic. What I like to do personally is keep them in a small wooden box uh, that I found in a uh, kind of like a workshop store. It sells wooden items and things like that. Um, so I found small wooden boxes that I keep my cards in. Uh, I know some people go online and they buy tarot bags. They are felt bags that people will put, uh, will keep their tarot cards in. So felt bags or even uh, bags made from silk, like very many different types of bags you can keep in. The, it doesn't really matter what material you keep it in. Um, some people like to wrap their cards up in silk scarf. And while some people can afford silk scarves, not everyone can. So for me, as long as you keep it in a clean um, cloth, whether it's cotton or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. As long as, as long as the cloth is clean and it's big enough to be able to tie all the cards together or keep all the cards together, then it's good enough. If you have a silk scarf and you want to use a silk scarf, then by all means, go ahead. But it's not necessary. It's not oh my god, you have to, otherwise, no, that, no, it doesn't work that way, all right? Now, some people don't even store their cards that way. Some people just leave them face down on their altar or on their desk. Now, if you can do that, by all means, but not everyone can. Some people need to hide their cards. So this is where wrapping it up in cloth and just keeping it in your closet works because no one's gonna wonder. It's, it's not, weird um if it's in a box or a wooden box or anything of that sort it may be a bit like hmm, what is that but if you wrap it up in cloth usually not really um but if you don't have to hide your tarot reading then keeping it on your altar face down or on your desk that's fine as well at the end of the day as long as it's kept in the place that's clean as long as your cards are kept in a place that's clean and won't be prone to getting dirty, so don't just chuck it in your bag, you know, where it could get drenched with water or, you know, have food spill on it. Like, you don't want that to happen. So um, as long as it's kept in a nice place, it's clean, it's not prone to getting dirty, then you're good. You don't really have anything else to worry about. That's good enough. So yeah, that is pretty much what it is. Once you get your deck, you cleanse your deck, you talk to your deck, you build that relationship with your deck, and then you store your deck carefully, and that's it. I really hope I answered all your questions that you had. I am so excited to know what deck you got. I really want to know what deck you love and that you are planning on buying or you're planning on getting. I want to know what deck is your absolute favorite so far 
Which deck do you love? Which deck is your dream deck? <laughs> and which card do you always look at to see? Like how I like to look at strength and star and all the queens. I want to know what cards you connect with the most and therefore would look at those cards and then decide whether you want to buy the deck or not. Like that would be really interesting. So yeah. I would love to to hear from you. But before we end the episode, um, I do have to say, usually at the end of the episode, I like to suggest a book, uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I, I want to suggest a book for you to read. I do this in every episode. So for this lunar cycle, uh, the book that I'm suggesting for you to read or reread is called The Creative Tarot by Jessa Crispin. I really hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Now, I love this book. I absolutely love this book, The Creative Tarot, um, mainly because of the way the author explains to us about the majors and the minors, the major arcanas and the minor arcanas using pop culture. It is absolutely fantastic. I love the way she explains it. Now, what she does is she attributes each card to an icon and their work. So whether it is an artist, uh, a painter, a singer, and, and a musician, a composer, doesn't matter. Whomever they are, she will associate a card to an icon and their work as well, like a specific work of theirs, a specific moment uh, in their life. Just to better explain the quintessence of the card, like you really get the oomph of the card. And I love that. I love how Jessa talks about each card with equal weight. Because a lot of people, they will talk a lot about the major arcana, but not really about the minor. They'll shortchange the minor. And she doesn't. It's a balance. It's a balance about how much she talks about the majors and the minors. She gives them each the respect and the time that they deserve. So the reason why I'm recommending the creative tarot is because as Jessa is explaining about the cards, uh, when you read the creative tarot, you will notice that she's looking at the energy of the card, the vibe, the quintessence of the card, instead of just the imagery, right? She sometimes mentions the imagery, but at the end of the day, that's not the important part. And this is great because regardless of the deck that you have, whether you have something that's a lot more minimalistic or it's super intricate in its details, at the end of the day, the explanation that Jessa gives, it fits any kind of deck that you have instead of having it fit with a traditional or with the traditional imagery. And that's why I love this book. So this way, it doesn't matter what deck you have because the vibe of the card is what's important. So yeah, I really do hope that you give it a read and let me know what you think. So yeah. So now that we know how to get our first deck and we know how to connect with our first deck and store our first deck, it's time it's time that we get to know the cards, right? And especially when it comes to the upright and the reversals. What does that mean? Well, based on how you shuffle the card, and also by your own choice, of course, your card could be read right side up, also called the upright version of the card, or your card could be read upside down, also called a reversal. Now, you may think that a reversal could just be read in opposition to its upright meaning, but it's not really that straightforward. Um, there are a lot of different ways of interpreting a reverse card, so we're going to talk about the various ways to read upright and reverse cards. So I really hope that you will catch me again next month on the next episode about card reversals. So with that, I would like to bring the episode to an end and again as i was mentioning just now i really want to know about the deck of cards that you would love to get your dream deck of cards if you've already gotten it which one is it if you have suggestions of decks whatever it is right if you have questions even please feel free to email me you can email me at alchemicalmermaid at gmail.com uh, you can also send me a DM on Instagram at Alchemical Mermaid, or you can also tweet me at 
alchemic mermaid because Twitter has this 15 character limit thing. But yeah, you can email me as well or you can Instagram me, you can you know tweet me. It's completely up to you. Follow me, of course, don't forget. And uh, yeah, the podcast is available, as I said earlier. It's available on Anchor FM, of course, uh, but also on Spotify, on Google Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And please do subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That would be absolutely amazing. Love that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And with that, we've come to the end of the episode. Thank you so much. I will see you again next month. Bye.